Wouldn't it be great if three idiots picked apart each episode of your favorite podcast? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if we discussed the newest episode, ongoing theories, and predictions for what comes next? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if they didn't ruin the podcast at all and kept everything spoiler-free? We don't do that. You've been warned. Welcome to We Do That, a Taz fancast. I'm your co-host, Chris. And I'm your co-host, Jeremy, the silent fifth member of the Adventure Zone. And I'm your other co-host, Colin. This week's episode, Dust, episode one. Okay, guys, uh, a quick synopsis, another quick synopsis. First of all, this episode contained very little dust, which was a little disappointing. Um... This episode, we find ourselves with our uh, uh, three heroes um, as they learn a little bit more about the events in the sheriff's office. Then they travel to the graveyard. And uh, uh, finally, they finish the episode by splitting up um, with Gandhi going back to her sanctum sanctorum. Sanctum sanctorum. And the other guy's going to the bar, which I consider my sanctum sanctorum. <laughs> uh, and they find out all sorts of fun stuff to uh, aid in their investigation of this murder mystery. Murder. Mystery. Welcome to Fun Voices, our a, podcast within a podcast. That was a good bit. <laughs> well, on that note, I cast Zone of Truth. Uh, so, uh, last time we were talking, and I suspected that we were going to get a lot of out-of-character conversation in this first episode, being a new system, new GM, and that seems to have come true. There's a lot of, um, a lot of kind of table talk, a lot of crosstalk, um, as I'm sure we'll get into, there seems to be some differing opinions on how the system needs to be played, um, so a lot of, a lot more discussion than we've gotten in, say, a, a Griffin GM'd arc. Uh, agreed. Uh, I predicted that um, Clint would try to cast Zone of Truth, which he talked about doing, but did not did actually yeah, get there. I'll, I'll give you an asterisk. Um, and I predicted that we would learn that something else killed the vampire, but we wouldn't learn what it was. And we didn't really learn that, so I have to take an L this week. I mean, we kind of we kind of got that. Yeah, you know, Michael gives away at the after Errol's second question that there's no there's no fur, and uh, uh, the the sheriff who's a, a member of that faction who can kind of who's out for justice. Yeah, um, yeah. Said that there was, or, or basically, Travis said that the sheriff knew that there was a ring of truth to the "I'm innocent" right um, of Dylan. Okay. So, well, then never so mind. We'll you, yeah, we'll give I you. We did, we did good. nailed it. We all nailed it. <laughs> Is that the first week that we've... Oh, also uncomfortable because of werewolves. So, like, we nailed it. I don't think we've done that yeah. before. It's only yeah, taken I mean, us it that we, eight episodes. Yeah, that we lowered expectations by a lot. Yeah. Mm, we are yeah. to aim smaller. I mean, I, I think, think that's a good test. That's a good thing for everyone to learn, really. Well, I think we Do basically less. have solved the adventure zone. We Do less. <laughs> we, we've now... Uh, we know exactly what's going to happen at every turn. Right, right. That we found the formula that they're all they're all working off of. It right. is a procedurally generated, but not uh not varied. Right. So I think in this week's zone of postulation, we should have a full on, real in depth. Just we should just replay the entire next episode. Yeah, we'll just call it call it call our shot. Shot for shot. Yeah, yeah for I, sure. I dig it. I dig it. Well, and super well for us. Yeah. Well, let's see how well we do. Remembering this week's episode and discussing it, and then maybe we can call next week's episode. Okay, so I want to start by talking about werewolf rules. Because. With or without a Z. Oh, definitely with a Z. Rules. Um, I thought you meant werewolf with a Z. Werewolf with a Z, yeah. It's, it's very silent. silent. Um, 
Because I'm super confused about how this is all working, right? They said, they sort of established this rule set where a couple of days on either end of the full moon, there's maybe the tendency to wolf out. But then they also, like, they said that it was not the full moon. Yeah. But didn't say that we were in that window. Yeah, right. And then the vampire, whose name I cannot remember, Jeremiah? Jeremiah Blackwell. Nice. Okay, good. Nice assist. Um, Got clawed with what looked like werewolf claws. Right. But there was no fur. But there was no fur. And then the mother was wolfing out a little bit in the bar. And so, like, I guess I'm just, like, confused about how all of that works together. You know, are we to assume, then, that we are in that either end of the full moon? And that that's why there's some wolfishness going on? Or... Does the rules do the rules need to be laid out a little harder? Well, I, I think um, I think Clint kind of mentioned that it kind of waxed and waned with the moon. So you know, the whole waxing and waning of the moon is a month long process. Um, so maybe it is just different parts of the month. Um, there are different levels, but I think they also mentioned the older werewolves um, have more control. Have more control. And so, uh, you know, maybe the older ones can sort of hulk out at will, as it were. Um, yeah, tap into it whenever they need it. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe they have a secret, like that they're always angry. You know? <laughs> We're going to get sued uh, so hard. <laughs> uh, we haven't gotten into it too far. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I... Uh, I think that they definitely delay out... A, the werewolf rules more, and when we are in that cycle, because that is going to be important. And I have to imagine at some point it's going to come up where they ask Travis to nail it down, because that would seem to be a key part of sort of the detectiving of this. Well, and, and I think oh, and that it, we're like, uh, I think there were some, there uh, not to derail the conversation or anything, but I think there were several sort of these like little continuity errors where things just don't make sense. Yeah. Like, are, are these three guys new to the town, or have they lived there? Right. Um, you know, Errol, uh, Griffin, as Errol said, like, oh, I take care of the residential part of the town. But it seems an awful lot like they're brand new to it. I think, I think um, as we talked about last time, I think Errol's character in particular has a lot of <clears throat> curiosities to it about when he got there and how involved he is and things of that nature. It seems like um, it seems like Griffin very much wants to be the outsider, but also be directly connected to the town. And I, I just imagine at some point, Travis is going to set up a situation where that gets really tested. And maybe that's where we learn definitively where that falls. Um, I think for Augustus and Gandhi, it seems a little bit more clear that, you know, Augustus is very much in the town um, and but was sort of <clears throat> old money and detached. So maybe not he was in the, the territory in Dry River, but maybe not particularly involved in town politics, given his sort of status and social standing. Right. Well, the, the, and the, the way that confuses me um, is as it pertains... <laughs> The way that confuses me is as it pertains to, um, you know, uh, uh, Travis saying, from your briefing with the Graysons, you know some things about the town. Yeah. Well, Errol's been here eight months, according to the setup episode. Right. And Augustus is from the region. Like, you think that the Blackwells uh, would be known to these characters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It does. That does seem a strange thing of... Um, how they are disseminating information in game. Um, Travis wants them to know a lot of stuff, I think, and it's not possible for them to know it if you know until unless Travis gives it sort of off camera and gives them a whole thing. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that's all shaking out. It's sort of and that sort of came to a head when 
um, I think Clint was specifically referencing, like, I want to examine the body, and, and Travis goes, okay, do it. It's like, well, I can't, do, I don't know anything about it. You have to tell me what it is. Um, so I think maybe that's a Travis as a new GM trying to figure out how to do all that exposition that um, Griffin would give us yeah. in his sort of intro narrations and some of the other monologuing that went on that while we often criticized him for it, for sort of not letting the players play, did serve as a good way to distribute all that information, not only to us as the listeners, but also to to the characters. Because I assume if he's not doing it on the call where they're recording it, that he is sending that information to them in some way so that they don't have to review it again. Right. Well, and it kind of strikes me as, you know, there is, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have all your characters be new to the situation, and they're all on the same footing, but I don't think that's the case here because right. Gandy isn't from the area. So I, I don't know. It kind of seems like you'd almost want to pull them away from wherever they are and drop them in a whole new location. Right. Put everyone on the same fresh footing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of speaks to, uh, you know, trying to, you can see Travis trying to get uh, Griffin and Justin involved in like the in the world building. Okay, you tell me how werewolves work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't really do that if that's going to impact the story. Yes. To Jake's point about, you know, people wolfing out where it may or may not be part of that. Right, especially that, um, as as Jake was saying, that it applies to NPCs, you know. And, and I, I think we find that too with, um, with when... We're sort of jumping all over in the story now, but when Travis... Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to the beginning in a minute, but... Yeah, yeah when Travis is role-playing as Michael, the homunculus for Gandhi, I find a lot of that where it's sort of like, what does... Um, what does... What do their current debts set up? And sort of Travis sets up that, okay, your debts mean you can ask three questions a day. But we sort of talked about before, like, what what is already outlined in what they know? Like, what can they share otherwise? And that's sort of a strange conversation that seems to need to happen at some point so we can nail down a lot of this stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so, Jake, why don't you get us back on track? Yeah, um, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Thank you. Um, so, Travis intro, after how many years of hearing Griffin say, welcome to the Adventure Zone, how cool yeah. was that? It's very, very um, cool. I think, I think, just even that little bit was like, oh, okay, we are in a new boat now. Um, yeah. And I really think that the way that Travis is setting up this story, I think especially with, uh, you know, the different time elements and the different beats and those options, even if, you know, Griffin's going to rain on his parade and say it's actually from other systems. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really cool way to differentiate that. And I sort of think it does get into um, sort of this communal world building that was happening, which sure might present some problems, but I think overall I really appreciated it. And I think I think yeah. we got that right from the jump as these characters are, you know, defining relationships right there. And, you know, from the sheriff's office, we kind of get to see that. And I think it's a really cool way to start and differentiate the storytelling from some of the storytelling that we've gotten in the past. Yeah. And I particularly love the time mechanic that Travis is using, especially that he's calling out that the choices you make will have consequences as to who you speak to and who's available and what's available. Yeah. I think that's a great, um, that's a great mechanic to have. I think it adds real consequences where otherwise it would be, you know, it could very easily be like, well, now we go to the saloon and now we go to the stable and now we go to the church. And now we go to back to here and now we go back and they could just keep running on and on in circles um, until they figured out the information they needed. Whereas Travis has put some real limits on it. And I'll be curious to see, you know, in episode three or four, if those really start to come to pass of like, oh, you can't find this person or something like that. See, yeah, I'm, that information I'm, is gone. Yeah, I'm a little less uh, comfortable with this. Idea. Well, I guess the one thing that frustrates me a little bit is it's another example of uh, the Adventure Zone taking a system and immediately modifying it to fit what they want to do. Yeah. And it's it kind of goes back to the question of what, uh, again, I think we mentioned every episode, but what are these arcs 
for these mini arcs. I know they're for experimentation, but you've never played within the world of Urban Shadows. Right. Why start, you know, is this system meant to be a murder mystery, a mystery type system? Um, and even if you want to apply it at 2-1, I think that's fine. But then to implement this whole new mechanic on how timing works and how that affects player movements. You know, and it's... It's a little dicey. Yeah, and I, I think it would make even more sense um, if there was some repetition to the timing so players could learn. Yeah. Like, okay, this store, this saloon is open from the hours of, you know, 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. But you can only learn that over a, over a course of time, and right now they don't know any of that. Well, and I think um, <clears throat> I think you make a valid point too that goes back to sort of the information sharing that if someone who's lived there for eight months would know that the saloon closes at two a.m. and reopens at noon, right? But I can imagine a point where they say, "Okay, it's three, let's go to the saloon," and then Travis goes, "Nope, it's closed." And you go, How, well, why like, why don't we? You know, and that's the thing that even a new character would probably be able to figure out pretty quick, or like maybe be in the Grayson briefing. You know, I don't know. I don't know how that information would go in world, uh, right? But certainly not something that should be a surprise too, right? And that's my concern is he said like you know this will consume a beat and that's all you have, but then it never said this is how you know what's open and what's not, who's available, who's not, right? Um, and and things like that. Yeah, fair point. You know, and I think that's, I, I get your concern, um, and I think, I think it's valid, but I think for the experimental nature, I think it still kind of works, um, and I'm really excited about the fact that there are structures in place for players to do different things. Right, I think that I think right. the flexibility yeah. there. Just you know, to say, you know, there there's there's the flexibility to find that information out. I think. Um, well, I, I think I think the 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 concern I have is how do you separate it from uh, Urban Shadows as a game in their evaluation. Because if it if this goes if this doesn't go great, you know how do you say um, it's because of urban shadows versus it's because of the time mechanic within urban shadows? It's it's just if they if the intent was look to at see you sounding like a scientist. Well, I mean, it's if your intent is to say which system works best for our group. I think it would behoove you to test the systems as they are meant to be played. Well, and I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder what we're testing if we're going by that logic. Like, what are they testing? Urban shadows, or are they testing powered by the apocalypse? Because I think we're already seeing that powered by the apocalypse works pretty well for their storytelling style. In terms of, you roll two d sixes, you go up to twelve, mixed success, full success, you know, partial success, whatever, uh, whatever the exact breakdown is. I think we're already seeing that that is working better than. Um, the D&D system for how they want to tell things. So I think in that case, it's proving out to be good and maybe Urban Shadows or Monster of the Week just sort of gives flavor to that rule set. Um, so I, I, I can see it them framing it that way. They're testing out Powered by the Apocalypse, not Urban Shadows. They're just, here's a way we can use this rule set and let's see what it feels like. Because uh, I don't know that it seems all that different than Monster, you know, Monster of the Week or Urban Shadows sort of feel like dressing on the Powered by the yeah. Apocalypse system. Um, granted, they, they are putting their own things so and the faction stuff that's in Urban Shadows versus um, another comparable thing that someone will remind me of from the, the Amnesty uh, Monster of the Week thing. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I think that's fair. It's I don't know. I'm just a little hesitant. I like to... Like they they mess with D and D a lot. They didn't play straight out of the box D and D, right? But I think when they started, they started with not only did they start out of the box D and D, they started with the first mission from the D and D book. Yeah, yeah, followed it pretty closely to the letter, minus the parts that are kind of fiddly, which I yeah, which as an edit I can appreciate. Of right, like let's just get that out of the way. Right, you have the spell components and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I've taken us pretty far off track. Jake, why don't you bring us back? No. So, I mean, I, I think that's all 
Those are all no, valid points. I won't. And I'm staying here. Well, no, no, no. What I, I'm trying to be positive as I bring you back in. <laughs> I could just I say, like "Hey, dumbass, get back that's, on topic." That's what I'm used to. Okay, fine. I'm so not in the room, so I can't hit you this week. Um. So let's talk about the story. So we start in the sheriff's office, and we learn some shit. <laughs> Damn, Jay, you should do the synopsis. <laughs> how do you? How do you? How do you guys feel about those first interactions the characters had? You know, those first introductions that we got to these characters in their role. It it threw me for a loop, and uh, I'm just going to put this out at the top because it's not a big thing, and I don't think we have to talk about it a whole lot. But uh, Travis says we're going to start in media res, and then they start, and immediately the first thing out of Griffin's mouth is, hi. Yeah, right. No, no, no. It's in, You guys are already talking. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they all kind of got hung up on the uh, the introductions bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I was kind of excited to see him jump in. Yeah, just do it. The one other thing I'll say is uh, I don't think there's a lot of differentiation between Travis's character voices, between Rosa and Sheriff Connors. And for the first minute, I was like, uh, is Travis going to have the oh, same character voice? For one was gruff single- and low, and one was gruff and slightly lower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's one kind of... slightly feminine. I think he put a feminine quality on it. And, and then... Jacob, is that the werewolf's name? Yeah, I just no, put those no, pieces. No, no, that is that is from Twilight. And yeah, I'm like with you, that's Dylan, 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 Dylan Mathis. Um, also gruff and sleepy and sad. Also, uh, uh, how long, he said it take him? It had been like what twenty minutes since he had been picked up. Yes. Yeah, and in the twenty minutes, who was it? Abigail Mathis or whatever her name is. Has contracted the Grayson Agency. Well, so like that is some that's some on the on the spot thinking. And they've had a briefing and been deployed in twenty minutes. Yeah, fair point. It does it there are elements of the, in this that seem like they've been contract they were con- they were contracted to do something prior to this murder happening, and now this murder's here, and they're just trying to, like, Which they're have, getting wrapped up in it. Maybe it was Augustus's murder. They had mentioned that. Well, but I don't think that would be why the Mathis matriarch had hired them. That's true. Um, I will say, just because you mentioned Augustus, I, uh, Justin appears to be having a lot of fun playing Augustus, and I think it's incredible. Yeah, I, yeah, I love uh, Justin. Once again, he is nailing his role-playing character, and I think he's, he is... Fully embracing ghosthood in all the best ways. Um, it did lead me to a concern, though, when we began thinking about it, is um, presumably they have hit points, but he's a ghost. Yeah, they never discussed that. So, like... Maybe there's not meant to be Can combat? Augustus die? I mean, I guess the only thing they ever talked about is being corrupted to the point that you that get you become an NPC. Over. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, no. And if he just decides to not be corporeal in that moment, like, let's not not talk about death, but, like, damage even. Yeah, that's true. Right. I can... Most of the time... I can touch and be heard, but I cannot be touched. And then, okay, you're invincible then. Like... Yeah. Invincible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why that was funny. I don't know. It just got me. Um, yeah, so I th- I thought that was weird. But but um, sorry, I just wanted to, I wanted to say how great a job Justin's doing. Well, it's, yeah, it's he immediately so he immediately nails the accent, and uh, I think he was the biggest source of humor in this entire yeah and episode. And uh, Travis did not get rid of any of his jokes. The jokes were allowed. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I was I was glad to see that. They were able to lean into the humor, because mm-hmm. um, like there were some legitimately funny moments this episode, and I was definitely nervous about that coming in. Like funny moments for the characters, not just the table talk. Yeah, well, and I really think like it felt like Justin was making it a point to, to play the funny, the caricature of of himself. Yeah, uh, exactly. To Man, insert I, that humor. I, I I hope the bit continues where Errol talks about Augustus's Gus 
And then yeah. he just like gruffly is like, well, actually, <laughs> it's Augustus. Augustus Parsons. Yes. I'm trying to think of where we're going next. We can edit um, this part out. This is this is good podcasting, guys. Um, well, so the next uh, the next story beat is they go to the church, um, and they meet Michael, the angel of death. So, do you think people in town know who Michael is? Like that role? You know, are there I Michaels hard- in every town? Right. I find it hard to believe that the people in town do not know who he is. Yes. I find it hard to believe that Michael, the Angel of Death, spends all of his time in Dry River. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Lots uh, of death. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but maybe maybe it's just like one, you know, a version of his corporeal form. Like Santa's can, elves. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like he can inhabit several of the Michaels. Throughout the world at once. Yeah. Yeah, I could see some something weird along those lines. Um But I think it's a great uh, I think it's a great storytelling choice by Travis. I think it's a super fun character to have in there and just be super weird. I really kind and of I, and like I loved Gandhi's response. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like yeah. like that I think you know, and I think this cycles back. I think all three of them have done a really good job playing as their characters in this first episode. <laughs> You I good? don't. I I actually, I actually don't know that I agree. I thought Gandhi's dancer of being sickened at the sight of Michael seemed a little, or at the sight of death seemed a little strange, considering she's the one who wanted to go see the body. I would have expected her to get like f- fired up, like angry. Oh, you've never anger puked before. <laughs> well, but I don't think I don't think that's what Clint was playing though. I see what I see what you're saying, and I could see that as being a, a choice Clint could have made um, to just be extremely confrontational, as opposed to being afraid. Right. And I wonder if that was just him trying to speak to like the underlying, her underlying aversion to death is fueled by fear, not by hatred. Even though he says like I hate you, um, you know, Gandhi says I hate you to Michael. I think it's very clear that what. Clint is playing at is a fear of death. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. Um, I think just her being so gung ho to go see the body and then having such an adverse reaction, not necessarily to the body, but to the presence of the angel of death. Yeah, it kind of didn't track for me. Yeah, I'll buy that. And I think Arrow even uh, calls her. I was like, hey, wait a minute, you're the one who wanted to come here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of Errol, I'm going to once again come back to Griffin's playing super weird. Like, there's some very strange role playing happening with Griffin's character. I can't entirely figure out what, like, what he wants to do or what he is doing. Um, his interaction with Michael I thought was very strange. Sort of trying to spend some persuasion time to figure out what happens. Like... Asking a question like that sort of discounts the purpose of the story Travis is trying to tell. And so I wonder, like, if he had rolled a, a 12 or higher or something like that, like, what, I wonder what Travis would have done. But it seems like going sort of that answer, in the same way that, that Gandy does with um, now Uncle Oni, where it's like, I could just tell you who solved it. And it's like, nah, I'm doing a thing. Like, it's cool. Um, whereas Griffin just goes in on it. And I can't. See, I just don't fully understand the character of Errol, I suppose, is what I'm what I'm getting at. That despite everything that Griffin has attempted to share with us, I don't fully understand what this character's perspective is. Well, and I, I think that kind of lends itself to the difference in between the distinction in between being a DM versus a uh player character. Yeah. Um, because at the DM, you already know the character's entire story, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, they're beginning, middle, end. You know what purpose they're serving, what point they're going to. What, whereas you don't, um, for a playable character, because you have to make the decisions in real time. Or as you play through them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and that I, I wonder if it's something to do with where he doesn't know what his character's after at this point. Yeah, that maybe. So maybe do you think it's a purposeful choice that he's he's playing it adrift because Errol is kind of adrift, like things kind of no went I just, sour for him, and now he's a dry river and sort of doing fuck all. I just don't think he is as comfortable being a player character compared to a DM. Mm. Finding his character through the story rather than having it defined. Predefined, yeah. right. Fair. Fair point. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I'll be, yeah, we'll see I how think, that I mean, out. I think Remy was a little the same where he was just kind of, you know, Griffin on speed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you're very right because it does... Um, I I feel like commitment because there are so many other um, sort of game structure issues around it that we talked that we didn't really talk about because um, this podcast didn't exist yet, um, but that we talked about <laughs> among ourselves that it was it, we didn't have the de- the deeper conversations about sort of what Remy's character was. But I think you bring up an excellent parallel in that he's playing Errol the same way he played Remy, in which it's sort of. Um, uh, listless is the wrong word. Um, directionless? Yeah, it's yeah. sort of off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very fast and loose. But slow at the same time. Yeah. Slow and loose. Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting that uh, it seems as far as that Errol's really like the main driver, like the protagonist, which I think, you know, knowing... Uh, I think kind of makes sense knowing the role Griffin's been in and the way he kind of asserts himself among... This group, while they're playing the adventure zone, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I, I think it makes sense. But I did think it was interesting because, like, you know, Augustus was really seemingly there for uh, for much of it for comedic relief. Yeah, yeah, and I can see. Um, <clears throat> I can also see Travis wanting to let Griffin lead, in that he can then lean on Griffin for some DMing help. You know, being someone new and depending on his level of confidence, though it doesn't seem to be lacking in, in confidence in his story, um, he certainly seems to have it pretty figured out for what he wants to do. Letting Griffin lead and sort of make those decisions so that he has a little bit of extra help in structure and moving the plot along and, and getting things organized. Um, but yeah, it does seem strange that that um, Justin has taken the comedic relief role and then Gandhi is... I don't know. I guess sort of a supporting character in a in a strange kind of way. Yeah, at least at least at this point, and I think it was kind of, you know, I think it was kind of similar to uh, the balance arc in that. Um, I mean, I think in that point, uh, uh, Travis was kind of the driver. Yeah. Um, but it was very. It's a very similar role where Taco was. I mean, he obviously did a lot more than comedic relief and had a lot of very meaningful moments. But that's kind of what he started out as as the. The you know a dumb elf yeah yeah, yeah. We played him um, it also um, interestingly tracks through back to amnesty where Griffin was reluctant to let Justin play the chosen because they didn't want it to be this is the person who fights the monsters and everybody else is a supporting character um, and now Griffin is sort of putting maybe to a certain extent putting himself in that role by the way he's role playing this of like he's the leader of this trio kind of deal. Yeah, I wonder uh, hmm. Yeah, uh you know, I I think I know the answer but like I wonder if he would have let like Travis play the chosen or Clint play the cuz I mean Justin's never been like the ringleader. Yeah, so maybe he just trusted that Justin would sort of take it in a supporting direction. Yeah. Yeah, which I think he did. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jake, you want to get us back on track? So, what do y'all think about the ghost rules being established? Dig them. All about it. Yeah, I think they're kind of bothered. Um I think I would like a little bit more clarification on when Justin can choose his two of four. Um, and is there any like penalty there? Because in... Like if you were comparing this to say video games or something, if you wanted to change a fighting stance or something as a magic user, you would be spending mana or something of that nature. There'd be a mechanic where there'd be a, an expenditure of something to get it there. Whereas if Justin could just at any moment be like, nope, I'm this now. What? Um, that seems overpowered for the system. Yeah. 
But I think since the character is naturally limited, maybe that's okay. Also, it seems weird that you can... What What are the four? Be seen, be, seen, be heard, touch, or be touched. It seems weird to me that touched or be touched are two separate things. Yeah, that you'd have to just choose corporeal. Yeah, exactly. I feel like physical, you know? Yeah. Yeah, fair. Uh, unless it's... Physical. Physical. There it is. Was... Was that the song requested, most requested this week? On the, uh, it was most requested by me. Um, <laughs> so please send your request in, Jake. I know for the fact your most requested song is the Carly Rae Jepsen DMX mashup you found online the other day. I mean, yes. So if you uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll link that on the pod on the Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we've pretty much been just repeating that song for like two weeks now. <laughs> if I could get licensing rights, that would be our new intro faux show. So, Jake, can you go ahead and uh, break us off a bar of that one? I don't think he could do it justice. I'd be worried he'd ruin it. Well, I also... You broke up there. So, like, that's <laughs> uh-huh. an out-of-the-podcast moment, but I lost all of what you just said. Uh, that's all right. It's not important. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Well, this is good podcasting. Now, this is podcasting. That was me being Anakin from Star Wars. Oh, that's fun. I thought we were maybe going for like a, you know, our next venture should be like, now this is what I call music. It's like, now this is what I call podcasting volume one. And we just take little snippets, like single episodes from other shows and put together like a mix. Just just like two minutes from an episode. We take the whole, I think this we could take This is the remix. No, because I think it would be too long. I think you literally take little bits from each episode. One, just the, this, the most poignant moment. Yep. Yeah. Well, look for that coming soon to our uh, our podcasting network that we're going to have to create here. Um, so, before we move on to the story, I do want to step out and talk about the world building and description that Travis is doing for us. Yeah. Which I think he's nailing. And I loved Justin's reaction to it. Like, man, it's that evocative is evocative as, as fuck. So um, But, like, that description of... Like, the whiskey barrel and all of the flavors and essences of this town, like, leaching into it was, you know, more world-building in a sentence and setting in a sentence than I think, you know, we could have used whole... I'm running out of steam with this idea. Um, That's fine. We know where you're going. And it's... uh. It's great. I think Travis is really doing a, an excellent job of building up the world and staying consistent in the way he describes the world, um, especially that he was going for the, that, the tension that he was saying in the setup episode and this sort of um, animosity that, that lives within these people. And it's definitely coming through, even in the brief interactions we've had um, with other NPCs, you know, the way that the, the sheriff and Rosa are very much already on edge, like very tense. This could go wrong at any moment. Walking into the bar, um, everyone is uh, unfriendly. Everyone is distrustful. Um, we didn't, you know, Michael sort of existing outside of that because he's an angel um, or whatever, I guess, whatever in canon that would be. Um, but Della yeah, I I, there's still there's opportunity for it for sure. Maybe one, maybe, maybe episode four. Uh, yeah, there I, we go. I, I did think it was amusing that he almost immediately followed up that, you know, that that line about the whiskey. And I did think it was a great line, a great world building with the graveyard being silent as the grave. Yeah. Phone that one in maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and and I but I also appreciated him trying to pull out stuff from Clint of like, what does the wagon look like? I'm like, no, it's not just a big wagon. Like what? Is it? What's going on inside? Yeah, I think, you know, I get I get the criticisms we had earlier about, you know, what the limitations of letting the characters build the world, you know, build the plane as you fly it. But I think giving them the opportunity to create that way to really add the yeah. flavor works really well and is really meaningful, like to, to give some context and depth to this world without going way too far in either direction. Um, yeah, Jake, I totally agree. I think that's some excellent, it's excellent the way that happens. And what I especially like is um, the way 
that the characters have have found their own way to interact with the environment, that they're taking those same cues that Travis is giving them and sort of stepping lightly around certain people. Um, it's sort of thinking of like when um, Justin and Griffin go to the saloon, that they are um, trying to edge around certain folk and stay yeah. out of the way of things. Um, the bit with the root beer glasses just is just really, really great and another excellent Justin humor choice. What what um, did the uh, uh, bartender level at them? A shotgun. And why does it? No, it was a club tipped with silver. That's oh, <laughs> I just I invented a different thing in my head when I was listening to it both times. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, no, uh, it was a club tipped in silver that was like engraved with a saying from the church or something of some but, such. So like, it was, was blessed. It why was Augustus worried about it? He can't be touched. Well, maybe he can by silver. Maybe he can by things that are blessed. Again, these are these are rules that we don't know. Yeah, I guess. And that goes back to the sort of the nature of playing a ghost character. Creates some, some surprising questions that you haven't had to deal with before. Um, I wonder... I should just go by the Urban Shadows. We'll both can figure out what it says about ghosts for real so we know what they're doing wrong. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Uh, if it's a season two thing, yeah. But for, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I'm yeah. not going to buy all five rule books. I, yeah. I barely read the D and D books I have. <laughs> I know. Hey, hey! I tried once. Hey, hey! hey. So I think uh, let's let's talk about these interactions in the bar a little bit more. Um, because for me, I think, I mean, yes, Justin's character was great. Um, but I think for me, it was the realest moment we got from Errol. Um, yeah. you know, toward a, to sort of capture this, this tension between, you know, he thinks he's part of this town, but maybe the rest of the town doesn't yet. You know, that interaction with the bartender, like, okay, well, you aren't the shit that you think you are, you know? Um, and I think, I think... That's a, a character choice that I can really get behind and understand going forward. Do you think that's a choice that <clears throat> Griffin is making or that Travis is making? Like, do you think Griffin is playing off of Travis's reaction to make it that Errol... Griffin knows that Errol is more of an outsider or do you think that Griffin thinks Errol is an insider and Travis wants him to know that he's wrong? I... The latter, because I can see Errol, given given what we know from that setup episode and this episode, I think that's how Errol sees himself. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm this hotshot politician who, you know, I'm super invested in making the town better, you know, whatever locality better for my people. Um, so everyone should just love me for that. Yeah, yeah. But when you come into this... Especially what it sounds like Dry River is, this town where everyone's already, you know, everyone's found their click already. It's like, you know, they missed the first three days of middle school and, you know, everyone else has already teamed up. Right. Um, right. You know, so I think that was a, a really good way for Travis to sort of shut down... Aaron, Errol, slash, Aaron, Aaron. Aaron's, uh, that's a combination of Errol and Griffin. We got you. Don't worry. I thought it was clever. And you were giving me, well, that was dumb looks. Um. Sorry, is this my default? Okay, well, that's fair. Um, a good way to sort of shut down that overconfidence. And especially to have, um. Well. Yeah, Go. Well, I was just going to say, I hope it doesn't change the way Errol is being played. Mm -hmm. Because I think that sort of lack of awareness of, hey, maybe you're not as ingrained as you think you are, is an interesting vein to have out there. Yeah, that'd be a, certainly a, um, a, um, a very different character choice than we've gotten to see before, but would be very in line with characters you encounter in the real world. And I think that would be a great, a great bit of role-playing there to be sort of um i guess play into the aloof and 
um, self-centered politician portion of the character he's created. Yeah. Um, I did want to sort of mention that there's a bit that didn't really get noticed a lot, but I think goes into some of Travis's world building is when he's first talking about the town and the places you could go, he talks about the new ownership of the saloon. Um, and I don't, I am struggling to recall exactly the way he describes it, but basically this woman takes over and makes it more friendly. But the previous owner who was shitty to all the patrons and workers there just disappeared under mysterious mm-hmm. circumstances. Hey, don't get... steal my zone of postulation thunder. Okay, I won't, but I think that's, uh, I got, I, don't, I won't take it any farther than that, but I think that's, um, I think that little bit of information that Travis shared just goes to shows the depth of which he's thinking this through, especially given yeah. that he's going to send them out looking for clues and things like there's going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to hear later in the episodes that we're hearing now that is suddenly going to tie together. But, but before we oh, go, even that note to be like, okay, y'all, y'all want to take notes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, but I, I, I wonder, because, you know, we gave, I think we gave Griffin a hard time for doing the same thing in Amnesty. Is Will it come up later, or will it be an unanswered question that we never get back to? Well, but we I think... We don't know at this point, I don't I, think. Um, I don't, but I think it's different in this one when it's framed as, here are the clues available to help you solve a murder, versus, here is some stuff I thought of that is in my world. Yeah, well, and to be fair, a lot of uh, in Amnesty it was supposed to be you're supposed to solve a mystery of how to defeat the monster, the monster. Yeah. And now I know they never really seem to get heavy into that part, but a lot of the the Phoenix Fire Gauntlet, like that stuff, could that's not what it was. No, <laughs> you just went way back. Not the Phoenix Fire Gauntlet. The um, the stone, the pendant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Lady Flame pendant. Um, could have been an integral part of defeating it. I guess defeating the monster just wasn't. But I, I would say that in Amnesty, Griffin did not give the characters as much choice of where do you want to go next. Uh, I like I there mean, was never a moment where they could say like, let's go to the Cryptonomicon and look around for some shit that will help us fight a monster. I would, uh, I would definitely agree. I'm just saying I'm, uh, I like that bit about the saloon. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying I'm going to withhold whether or not it was good to include that. Mm, okay. If it has any bearing on the story whatsoever. Well, but I do think it's um, it could be tricky because it might never come up again, but only because the players missed it. Like, it's not... There becomes a point, I think, when doing a, a mystery of this nature in the way Travis is structuring it, that I think he has to create more than could be referenced by the characters because it, it depends on which path they decide to take. So he has to know all this other stuff and drop hints for all these things that are available, but you might never encounter them. Um, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, I guess I'm always going to reserve judgment until we see more because, I mean, we for something that was very similar, we gave Griffin a very hard time. So... Yeah, I, I guess I would disagree about the similarities, but I'm I'm I see what you're coming from. I, yeah. you know, we'll see you next know, And I think I think this is a testament to how much Colin loves the adventure zone because he doesn't reserve judgment on anything. <laughs> That's true. And I yeah. It's not reserved judgment so much as it's like it's gonna be judgment light until we get deeper into it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just like I have opinions and I'm gonna share them, but you're gonna see they'll all come out later. <laughs> Okay, so what about um, Justin Griffin's interaction with the Blackwell matriarch? Mm, uh, the other one, uh, right? I can't. I, I get the murdered and the murdy. Nope, murderer. Mm, I'm doing real good. Mur- uh, murdy is a is an interesting turn of phrase. Uh, I get Mathis, I get their names Mathis? confused. Mathis. Yeah, math is matriarch. Uh, I thought it was weird that she was like, "Oh, you guys are finally here." It, it's, it's been, been less a- than an hour, right? And like, yeah. And why are you there? Why do you have to stay there? And how, did they ever know that she was at the bar? Right. I thought you guys would finally be at the bar. Usually, when I take a job, the first thing I do is get wasted. Yeah, the first. I mean, I guess the question on root beer. <laughs> You know, it sort of becomes a, a, a talking about it as a crime procedural. Like, do you first go to the crime scene or do you first go check out the body? In a typical crime procedural, you'd go to the crime scene first, like 
an episode of of CSI or NCIS or any of those sort of right. things. You go to the crime okay, scene, which... then you go to the morgue. Yeah. Oh no, no, finish your thought. Because this is gonna be dumb. <laughs> Good. Uh I mean so like in any other TV show or sort of that trope is crime scene, morgue, witnesses, solve it. And what well, it depends on the show, to your point. Because in some shows it's bar right. scene body. Right. Those uh those are the, the ones on FXX. <laughs> Yes. They're slightly dead. It's, it's just bad episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they're trying to solve a murder. It hasn't been aired yet. But. Yeah, I was going to say, there are no bad episodes. <laughs> um, Jake, what dumb thing would you like to share with the, the group? So, if this is a crime procedural, which uh-huh. The Who song do you think would open it? <laughs> Pinball Wizard? I like it. The only one I know. Ever since I was a young boy. I don't think it would be a Who song. Oh, you mean to tell me Behind Blue Eyes wouldn't nail this? Because it would. No. Alright, you're going to have to... You guys um, discuss something for a little bit. I'm going to take a couple minutes and think about this and come back <laughs> with what the intro song would be. But seriously, have a discussion. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> Uh, well, the next place I was going to go is uh, Gandhi's scene in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Oh, man. That's convenient because that's the next place in the episode. It is. It is. I structured that well. It's actually the previous place in the episode. Is it? Oh, yeah, that's shit. That yeah, you're first. right. Uh, but I thought it was, um, you know, we talked a little bit about how it was set up. But I thought it was interesting that Travis as uh, Michael slash Uncle Opie. Uh, Oni. Uncle Oni. Nope, Opie now. <laughs> yep. Uh, would even give the option of like, hey, I could just tell you who did it. Well, and, and so I think that was uh, interesting because he knows what he wants out of it. You know, that idea of she's sold part of her soul to him already. Right. So... I think making that offer, it, it makes sense because it's like, well, just give me a little bit more. Yeah, but why not take it? Just, yep, okay, solved it. Right, especially um, as we've talked about before, if these characters end with this arc, like, why worry about it? The same way we talk about, like, spend their luck right away in Amnesty and those sorts right. of things. Like, if it doesn't matter, like, yeah, sure, I'm corrupted, whatever. Yeah. Show over. Full of debt. Um how do you guys feel about the decision that Travis is playing the uh, Uncle Oni and not Clint? I like it. I think it. I think it makes it so that the balance of power can fluctuate a little more. Right. If Uncle Oni is supposed to be a repository of knowledge, it makes sense that it would be Travis and not Clint, just inventing yeah. facts that he hopes are right. Yeah. Um, but I, I sort of, you know, I was thinking back to Justin playing Breach. Beacon. Beacon. Woof. Sorry, Into the Breach came out this week and it's been on the brain. Um, playing Beacon and how great that interaction was because I think one person playing two characters, you can have a very unique dialogue that you can set up in a longer term rather than having it as a, um, a traditional conversation. Whereas... I guess in this, I guess in this case, you're right. It does make more sense to have um, Travis play it, given the information and transaction that needs to occur. But I think in terms of understanding Uncle Oni's motivations, that would be something that's much more in Clint's wheelhouse, is yeah. that being a character that he's created. Yeah, I think, and I think that makes sense. And I mean, I'm still not a hundred percent like comfortable with the idea of Uncle Oni. Yeah, uh, not like. Uh, you know, not like the way Jason comfortable with werewolves, right. but more like it doesn't ruin your sleep at night. No, but like, what, uh, like, where does he get this information? Like, what? That's you know, yeah. You don't just have it. Like, there has to be something else there. Right. You don't just get to have an omniscient demon. 
Yeah, you know, exactly. That chosen your wagon. Black Mariah. Yeah, I couldn't remember it. There you go. Um, so, I mean, also, I thought it was uh, interesting. Uh, Gandhi made a point of, well, I'm going to go back to the Sanctum Sanctorum, uh, do some analysis. Um, the three questions a day thing seemed a little much like a unilateral decision. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't know why there wasn't a conversation around that. When there's a conversation around so much other stuff. Right. And especially that this entire arc is going to take place in one third of a day. Yeah. Um, like it still plays out that, that, that Gandhi gets three questions. Right. Um, but it did seem strange. Well, and, and that her question, I thought her question was just not a good one. It was What's well, this powder? Yeah, I mean, he told you when you were in with Michael that it looked like silver powder or yeah. copper powder or whatever it was. It was, oh, it's locally sourced copper or silver or yeah. silver. And, I, think. Um, I think that goes to another thing about like how long have these characters been in the territory. I would imagine that people who had spent time there would be pretty familiar with what metallic dust looked like. Yeah. It probably comes around a lot if you're in a mining town. Well, and are you going to, if you're in a mining town, are you going to assume it came from another mine, like 70 miles away? Right. I mean, we should be, a, you know, I think it. we would not be having this discussion if the revelation had been, this is silver from somewhere else. Yeah. Agreed. And then it becomes a very interesting plot point. Agreed. But if you're, yeah. if I was Gandhi, my assumption is that it's local. Yeah. Until I have a reason to think otherwise. Local and from the area. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very important. Uh, so I just thought, I, I, fe- I think it felt like Gandhi wanted to go to the Sanctum Sanctorum, or Clint wanted Gandhi to go to the Sanctum Sanctorum just to see what it was all about. Yeah. And I, you know, I guess to get in that first, that first interaction with Uncle Oni and sort of play that. But I, I do think that would be true to the the character, the way Clint's described Gandhi. I do think that character's first reaction would be, I need to go and study this. Yeah. So um, In the library. In the library, yeah, exactly. Um, so while I think not, not particularly interesting as a choice, nor um, revealing as a plot point, I think it was true to the character, at least. Yeah, I just feel like maybe she could have gotten there without asking Uncle Oni. Why doesn't she just take Uncle Oni with her? Because he drives the wagon. He can't take a break. Doesn't have like a. I would also break. imagine that given that she has sold at least some of her soul to a demon, she's probably not super keen on like letting everyone in the world know that. Fair. Yeah. Also, like. Carrying around a little cherubish doll would probably raise more questions than it did solutions. He can walk. That would be worse, I feel. No, I, I would dig it. Yeah, I'm really not looking forward to the moment when he decides to go kill mode. And, like, his mask just turns around. Are you more bothered by that thought or the thought... Of all the werewolves. Oh, still werewolves. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait for him to go kill mode. That'll be fun, I think. Yeah, agreed. Because he's so tiny. I'll be curious if we get any uh, combat in this arc. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I wonder how that would look. Yeah, I was going to say, they haven't discussed it at all. Like, it doesn't feel like it's part of... I mean, I'm sure there's a, a way for it in the system similar to the Amnesty. Yeah. Um, but they haven't talked about it, really. Right, yeah. So, I do think... Uh, yeah. They haven't talked about combat at all, and I, I think if it comes to pass, it's certainly not going to be in like, any way we've experienced it previously. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the past two arcs. I don't think... Just based on the characters they've created, they're not built for combat, nor is there any sort of provisions for equipment or anything like that. Now, mm-hmm. Augustus can possess somebody, right? Or is that once he's at a higher level? I think that's at a higher level once he's become more corrupted. That's a shame. I'm gonna get there. I did. What um? What were the mechanics to 
earn corruption points? Do we know that fully yet? Uh, it's triggered by certain actions, like Griffin got one. When he became a hunt. Yep, and Gandy got one for asking, I believe. She got one for doing something in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah. A, corru- a corruption point? I, I think, think so. so, yeah. Oh, really? Um, I don't think... I don't remember what Justin's were, though. I don't think he... Yeah, I don't know what actions triggered for him because I don't think he's gotten one. They haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But what, what I'm really interested to see is, you know, the, the mechanic where at the beginning of each episode or each camp story game, however we're going to look at this, they get to sort of talk about who they trust more or less. And I think this right. whole I just wonder branching what that will off, add to the story. Well, and so, like, I think, you know, the idea that Gandhi has now gone off by herself and has come back with information from an unknown source, I think that's interesting. You know, and yeah, I think... Do I you think, think it's unknown? The provision think- for splitting the party up is interesting for that. Yeah, I wonder... Um... I wonder if Gandhi's relationship with Uncle Oni is unknown to the other two characters. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, she said, I'm going to go back to my, you know, I'm collecting this evidence to go back and analyze. Yeah. If she came back with that information and say, oh, she analyzed, you know, like, that's what she said she was going to do. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know that that... If she came back with no information or unrelated information, I think it would have been a bigger question. Yeah, I don't know that that mechanic is going to play out much in this mini arc versus how it would play out in maybe a traditional Urban Shadows campaign or even a longer version of whatever the McElroys are cooking up. Yeah. That's fair. Okay, okay. Um, but we've been uh, we've been skating around a lot of our thoughts about what's going forwards, and but we haven't yet made some predictions. And I think it's time we get on down to the zone of postulation. Zone of postulation. Every damn time. <laughs> um, and see what's, what's going to happen next week. It's time to call our shop, gentlemen. Who's got thoughts? I've got thoughts. Bring it on. Bring it on. Marcus, the former owner of the bar, is angling to cause a war between werewolves and vampires. Because Marcus was the name of the vampire in Underworld. Who wanted to cause the war between werewolves and vampires? That seems a bit on the nose, but yeah. does, that's well founded. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll buy it. I probably would have left out the underworld part and just. Oh, just made like, it sound like I was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we yeah, all know I'm not cool. That's some good cross media uh, postulation, I suppose. That's but no, no, no. I, I think that's an interesting parallel. I don't think it informs on the story. <laughs> what I think it you can't does it back do now, is Jake. no. I so I think it's going to be interesting because I imagine it gets to the business, like the business relationship that these two groups have, and that you know if one group rises to the top and suddenly can control all of the business uh, potential, you know, both mines, everything else in town. That's that's probably the driver there, you know. That's what I would predict. Um, I'm going to try to go smaller on my prediction this week, and I'm going to say that we are going to get Griffin trying very, very hard to get some sort of activity to happen on Carrion Street so that he can use his special ability. And I am going to bet that Travis resists and it does not play out. Yeah, I could. Definitely I can dig see it. That. I'm gonna try to stay. I'm gonna try to stay little this time. Maybe that's an even, that's specific, but hopefully. Yeah, I think that might even be bigger. Than yeah, last perhaps. Week. Um, I really as much bravado as I had at the beginning of this episode about us solving the McElroys. I really have no idea what's gonna <laughs> happen next. Uh, I think they will. Um, Visit Sterling, uh, the other bar, uh, the Fang bar. Uh, also, side note, I think it's interesting that, at least on my understanding, vampires are vampires all the time. But yeah, are they weak to sunlight? Yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, we don't have any vampire rules yet. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, uh, but I think uh, ultimately a lot of this uh, arc is going to hinge on uh, Sheriff Connors one way or another. Either they'll have to try and get by him for something or uh, he's going to be a deciding factor. In this okay, okay. Arc. Dig it. Thanks for listening to We Do That. Uh, next week we'll listen, uh, sorry, we'll cover the second episode of the dust arc and uh, see how right our predictions were. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at we do that underscore pod or email us at we do that pod at gmail.com. Send us your reactions, thoughts, and theories so we can shamelessly steal them. Special thanks to the early for our intro and outro music. New episodes of we do that come out every Monday after the adventure zone. Bye everybody. <laughs>